You know, there's a story told of a new believer who was trying to express to his pastor just how grateful he was to God. And he said, Pastor, if I had 50 pigs, I'd give 25 of them to the Lord. And that's very nice, said the pastor. If you had 30, would you give 15 to the Lord? Of course I would, said the new Christian. If you had 10, would you give five of them? Asked the pastor again. You know I would, he answered. Then the pastor said, if you had two, would you give one to the Lord? Now, pastor, don't ask me that. You know I only have two pigs. <laughs> Sometimes whenever things are out in the theoretical, I guess you might say, we can talk pretty big, can't we? But then whenever things start hitting close to home and it gets beyond just uh, speculation and comes to application to life, sometimes it seems like the preacher's gone to meddling, you know? And uh, this morning we're looking at, some, at a statement, an affirmation of our Christian faith and we shared it this morning by sharing the ecumenical version of the Apostles' Creed because this particular article, as you would uh, call it, uh, in the uh, Apostles' Creed is one that uh, there's a lot of concern about. So much so that it looks like it was in the early days of the Methodist Church that we relegated, descended into hell to an asterisk at the bottom of the page. Have you noticed that? We say it in the traditional way, but leave out that one line. We're about the only ones that do that. All the rest of the denominations just about have left it in there. Because it's true. It's just that I guess some Methodists just don't want to talk about hell. But the thing is, if it's real, we need to talk about it and people need to know something about it. Now, a lot of people have wrong concepts of hell. And today, one of the things that we're going to be looking at is a biblical concept. And what does the Bible say about this? We read the scripture today uh, in first uh, Peter, where it says in which he also went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison who once were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Now then, he goes on, and in the fourth chapter he says, For the gospel has for this purpose been preached, even to those who are dead, that though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the spirit, according to the will of God. Now, this is probably one of the most important tenets, I believe, uh, that we find 
They're all important. Every one of these articles of the Apostles' Creed are crucial to our Christian faith. But this is the one that comes into play when people start asking, well, what about all those people that died before Jesus came? Whatever happened to them? And they say, there must be some other way, or none of those people could have gone to heaven. And the thing is, it's made clear in Scripture. It says in Hebrews, listen to this, uh, after it goes through the Heroes Hall of uh, Faith, it says that talks about all these people that died in faith in the Old Testament. It says, all these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. And then on down, uh, the author of Hebrews says in the 39th verse of the 11th chapter, and all these having gained approval through their faith did not receive what was promised because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. And that something was Jesus and his precious blood shed on the cross for the payment of our sins. And the thing is, all those, even though they died in faith, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, uh, David, all of those, they didn't get to go to heaven. They wound up, and we're going to talk about this in a minute, but they didn't get to go into heaven apart from hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he went and he preached and he told them. And even those that died before the flood got to hear the gospel. Jesus meant it when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, you can underscore that, no one comes to the Father but by me. No one from the beginning of time has ever gotten to go and be with the Father apart from Jesus. Jesus says what he means, and he means what he says. And so with that, uh, I would like to just go on and just kind of give us a little bit uh, more detail here. To understand all this, we need to understand, first of all, what is death? You know, death is, is more than anything else, separation. It's a dividing of things that God intended to be united. Fundamentally, it's separation from God. Remember Adam and Eve in the garden? and said, you can eat from any of the trees in the garden except for this one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The day that you eat from that tree, you will surely die. They ate from the tree and they spiritually died. And all of a sudden they were alienated. They were separated from God. They hid from him. They didn't want to have anything to do with him because of their separation. Paul suggests as much, and he says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. 
To walk in sin, you see, is to be dead, to be enslaved to dark powers, to be separated from God, where it is to be children of wrath. Now, this type of separation is an estrangement. It's a hostility, an alienation from the life and the hope of the living God. And in this sense, all of us by nature come into the world dead. And it is this death that Jesus was enduring in his suffering on the cross when he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He felt that separation from God. He felt the desolation of sin as he took the sin of the whole world upon himself at that time. The sins of those who were in the past and the sin of all those who were going to come. And yes, while he was there, he knew you were going to mess up. And there's a place in that burden of sin that he bore for your sins as well. God made human beings to be embodied souls and ensouled bodies. Death tears this union apart. But death is more just separation of God. It also marks the separation of the soul from the body. God made human beings, as I said, to be embodied souls and ensouled bodies. And death rips this union asunder. But what happens to these parts after they're separated? Psalm 1610 tells us the way things normally happen, gives us a bit of a window. It says, you will not abandon my soul to show, nor let your Holy One see corruption. Now, this passage gives us the normal account of what happens when a human being died prior to the death and resurrection of Jesus. The soul went to Sheol, the holding place of the souls of the dead, and the body saw corruption or decayed. Now, in Acts 29, 31, Peter tells us that David, in writing this psalm, foresaw the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades or Sheol. That is, his soul wasn't, nor did his flesh see corruption. Notice that Peter reads the second line as a reference to Jesus' body or flesh. Because you see, uh, Jesus descended to the dead, as we read today, to the holding place of the dead, into Sheol, or Hades, as it's called uh, sometimes. That's all the dead went there. Now, so prior to, the, to Jesus, at death, souls normally went to Sheol, or Hades, and the bodies decayed in the ground. Now, Peter thinks that David's prophecy in Psalm 16 is good news. And let me show you how. In the Old Testament, Sheol is the place where the souls of the dead, both the righteous like Jacob and Samuel and uh, uh, David and all the others that you see, those great heroes of, of, of faith in the Old Testament, 
but the wicked also were in Sheol. In the New Testament, the Hebrew word for Sheol is translated Hades. And uh, the description of Sheol in the Old Testament and the New Testaments bears some resemblance to the uh, Hades that you see in Greek mythology. It's under the earth, we see in Scripture. It is like a, a city with gates, we see in Isaiah. And it has bars, we see in the book of Job. And it's a land of darkness and a place where shades and shadowy souls of men dwell. We see this in Isaiah. It is the land of forgetfulness we see in Psalm 88, where no work is done uh, and no wisdom exists. We see from Ecclesiastes. But most significantly, Sheol is a place where no one praises God. We see this also in several places in Isaiah. In the New Testament, the most extended depiction of the afterlife is found in Luke 16, 19 through 31. And there we learn from Jesus himself that Sheol has two compartments. Hades proper, to which the rich man was sent, and uh, Abraham's bosom, where Lazarus, the poor man, wound up. Hades proper is a place of torment, where fire causes anguish to the souls imprisoned there. Abraham's bosom, on the other hand, uh, while within shouting distance of Hades, is separated from it by a great chasm as a place of comfort and rest. This is found in Luke 16, if you want to check me out and double check me on this. While much mystery remains, the picture we see at Jesus' time is that all dead souls go down to Sheol or Hades, but Sheol is divided into two distinct sides, one for the righteous and one for the wicked. The righteous who died prior to Christ dwelt in Sheol with Abraham, and though they were cut off from the land of the living, they were not tormented as the wicked were. With this, with this background, we can start to see what Jesus was doing on Holy Sunday, on Holy Saturday, excuse me. He said, and Jesus said that he was going to be, just like Jonah was in a fish for three days, the Son of Man, and he refers to himself as the Son of Man, would be three days in the earth. Remember what Jesus said to the thief next to him? Today you will be with me in paradise. Paradise doesn't refer, did not refer at that point in time to heaven. Paradise at that time was Abraham's bosom. And so you see these two things go together. When Jesus told that, uh, that thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. That's Friday. Today you're going to be with me in paradise. Whenever they both died, the thief got to be the last righteous one that entered paradise while it was in the nether parts of the earth.
It was in the heart of the earth, it says. He got to bop in there with Jesus. Wow! The thief on the cross walked into Hades in good company. Well, so you see, and it's then that is whenever all the rest of them got to hear the gospel. All of them at that time. You see, based on the Old Testament, what we learn from Jesus in Luke 16, we know that the now repentant thief would be at Abraham's side, a place of comfort and rest for the righteous dead. And here Jesus calls it paradise. Following his death for sin, then Jesus journeys to Hades, to the city of death, and he preaches good news to all that there that are there and those on both sides of the chasm. He's in paradise, but they can hear him over on the other side of the chasm. Even those who were wicked could hear. Everyone got to hear the gospel. All those who died before Jesus uh, on the cross for their, for our sins are saved by receiving this good news, just like us. That's what the author of Hebrews is saying. You see, Jesus really meant it when he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He liberates Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, John the Baptist, and the rest of the Old Testament faithful, ransoming them from the power of show. They had waited there for so long, not having received what was promised, so that their spirits would be made perfect along with us, along with the saints of the new covenant. After his resurrection, Jesus ascends to heaven and he brings the ransomed dead with him so that now paradise is no longer near the place of torment. And technically, you see, paradise, the physical place, did not move to heaven. But all those who were held in paradise, they were, it was, hell was emptied of those who received the gospel. And so now, well, like Paul says, to be absent from the body, is to be present with the Lord. So now when one of us passes away and we're a believer, we go straight to the presence of God, straight to heaven. So uh, now then, in the, let's see, let's see, I'm going to back up. After his resurrection, Jesus ascends to heaven and brings the ransomed with him. And now paradise is no longer a place down there and not near the place of torment, but it's in the third heaven. All those people who are in paradise are now in the highest heaven where God dwells. We see this in 2 Corinthians uh, 12, 2 through 4, if you want to check me out. Now, in the church age, now, when the righteous die, they don't go to Abraham's bosom. They depart to be with Christ which is far better. Remember, Paul was torn 
He said he didn't know which was better, to stay here. He says to live is Christ, but to die is gain. All of a sudden, death is a welcome thing to the Christian. The wicked, however, do remain in Hades in torment until the final judgment. When Hades will give up its dead who dwell there and they're judged according to their deeds. And then it says that death and Hades are thrown into hell, into the lake of fire. You see, Jesus also meant it when he says, I go to prepare a place for you. He was busy preparing a place, making a way so that we could go. And he also says, if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And where is he? He's in heaven and he's prepared a place for us there. And so now when we die, we go straight to him. And that's wonderful to know. That is good news. Jesus' journey to Hades demonstrates that he really was made like us in every way. Not only did he bear the wrath of God on our behalf, he endured death, the separation of his soul from his body. His body was in Joseph's tomb and his soul was three days in show in the heart of the earth. But as Psalm 16 makes clear, Jesus is not only like us, but he is different. Jesus' body was buried like ours, but his did not decay. Jesus' soul went to Hades like the Old Testament saints, but it wasn't abandoned there. He wasn't left in show. God raised him from the dead, reunited his soul uh, with a now glorified body so that he is the first fruits of the resurrection harvest. If any of you have ever uh, grown uh, vegetables or fruit, you know that like tomatoes, there's going to be one that ripens before the rest of the crop. And you can take that first fruit and you can find out what the whole crop's going to be like. Jesus is the first fruit of the resurrection harvest to come. And this is good news for us because those in Christ now bypass the land of forgetfulness where no one praises God. And instead, when we die, we get to go and be where he is. I want to close by sharing with you that this is nothing new. This is ancient. This is from the very beginning of the Christian faith. This is what Christians have held for millennia. About, well, let's see, it was the beginning of the second century would have been about a hundred years after Jesus passed away or after Jesus ascended into heaven. The Bishop Melito of Sardis gave a very brief message on the Saturday between Good Friday and Easter. 
And I want to close with his brief message. And remember, this is a Holy Saturday message. So he starts out, what is happening? Today, there's a great silence over the earth, a great silence and stillness, a great silence because the king sleeps. The earth was in terror and was still because God slept in the flesh and raised up those who were sleeping from the ages. God has died in the flesh and the underworld has trembled. Truly, he goes to seek out our first parent like a lost sheep. He wishes to visit those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. He goes to free the prisoner Adam and his fellow prisoner Eve from their pains. He who is God and Adam's son, the Lord goes into them holding his victorious weapon, his cross. When Adam, the first created man, sees him, he strikes his breast in terror and calls out to all, my Lord be with you all. And the Christ in reply says to Adam, and with your spirit, and grasping his hand, he raises him up saying, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give you light. I am your God, who for your sake became your son, who for you and your descendants now speak and command with authority those in prison. Come forth, those in darkness, have light, and those who sleep, arise. I command you, awake, sleeper. I have not made you to be held a prisoner in the underworld. Arise from the dead. I am the life of the dead. Arise, O man, work of my hands. Arise, you who are fashioned in my image. Rise, let's go hence. For you in me and I in you, together we are one undivided person. For you, I, your God, became your son. For you, I, the master, took on your form, that of slave. For you, I, who am above the heavens, came on earth and under the earth. For you, man, I became as a man without help, free among the dead. For you, who left a garden, I was handed over to Jews from a garden and crucified in a garden. Look at the spittle on my face, which I received because of you, in order to restore you to that first divine inbreathing at creation. See the blows on my cheeks, which I accepted in order to refashion your distorted form into my image. See the scourging of my back, which I accepted in order to disperse the load of your sins, which was laid upon your back. See my hands nailed to the tree for a good purpose. For you, 
who stretch out your hand to the tree for an evil one. I slept on the cross and a sword pierced my side for you. For you who slept in paradise and brought forth Eve from your side, my side healed the pain of your side. My sleep will release you from your sleep in Hades. My sword has checked the sword which was turned against you. But arise, let us go hence. The enemy brought you out of the land of paradise. I will reinstate you no longer in paradise, but on the throne of heaven. I denied you the tree of life, which was a figure, but now I myself am united to you, I who am life. I posted the cherubim to guard you as they would slaves. Now I make the cherubim worship you as they would God. The cherubim throne has been prepared. The bearers are ready and waiting. The bridal chamber is in order. The food is provided. The everlasting houses and rooms are in readiness. The treasures of good things have been opened. The kingdom of heaven has been prepared before the ages. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty, ever-living God, whose only begotten Son descended to the realm of the dead and rose from there to glory. Grant that your faithful people who were buried with him in baptism may by his resurrection obtain eternal life. We pray this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.